Welcome to the First Right Podcast, the weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration Pack. I'm Doug Truax, founder and president of Restoration Pack. Today we're blessed to have a first-time guest and one of the fiercest fighters for election integrity in America. He is Pennsylvania State Senator Doug Mastriano. It is no surprise to those who know Senator Mastriano that he is a persistent and tough advocate. The Senator is a combat veteran with a distinguished 30-year career in the U.S. Army, retiring as a colonel. Well, all right, Colonel, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me in these strange times that we live in. Yeah, how about <laughs> it? Interesting days. You know, it's, uh, sometimes, it's a blessing to be living in the time that we're in, right? So um, uh, for such a time as this. So you've got this incredible career. Uh, you've got um, all these accomplishments. I'm, you know, we're both Army guys, and I'm, I was looking at all the stuff that you did. Super impressive. If you could just give the viewers a sense of, you know, the highlights of your career and then kind of how you got to the political side as well is always very interesting. Thank you. And thank you for your service as well. Thank Obviously, uh, veterans are near and dear to my heart, having done it most of my adult life. Uh, and ever since I was five years old, no, no exaggeration, I wanted to be in the Army. Thanks to the influence of my dad, who was a Navy man, but also my Uncle Joe, who was in Patton's Third Army. And, and this time in 1944, he was part of the 4th Armored Division in Patton's 3rd Army, trying to lead the spearhead to relieve our boys trapped in Bastogne, 101st and 10th Armored Division. And uh, right before he was uh, closing in on Bastogne, a Tiger tank uh, had ambushed him and killed his entire crew. He survived. He was a driver, had his hatch open. He went flying out, and he woke up sitting Indian style in a puddle on the side of the road with his intestines in front of him. So uh, Whoa. I, I, as a kid, I remember asking him, Uncle Joe, what did you do? And he kind of talked like John Wayne. He's like, well, Doug, you know what I mean? I got my intestines, put them back in my stomach and went to the medics. Simple. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know? If you're a tough guy, it's simple. You <laughs> <laughs> patched him up. He had a one-way ticket home. He refused to, to leave Belgium. He went back into the, uh, his armored division and then they continued to fight the Nazis. And that, those kind of stories inspired me to serve my country. So, okay, I uh, joined the Army after college and uh, highlights uh, served along the uh, Iron Curtain with the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment, uh, East German Czechoslovakian borders. It, it, I, I felt so good being on a pointy end of the spear, defending our country from socialism, from uh, government overreach, from the atheistic system that they had, and uh, then watched the Cold War end then ended up in, in Saudi Arabia fighting the Iraqi armored war, uh, the Republican guards, and all these highlights one after another. And watching God's hand uh, throughout this this entire time in my life as well. There was uh, several instances during Desert Storm where, where I should have been killed, and, and God in his, in his kindness and providence protected me. Uh, thanks, I think, to the prayers of a lot of people. Because If you remember in 1991, uh, yellow ribbons went up. It was a strange thing. It never happened before. Pray for our troops. Americans prayed. And as a result, uh, many people like myself came home alive. Oh, great story. And then to, to transition too, just like what you said, and you saw it front and center, that uh, atheistic government <clears throat> entity that you were prepared to fight against, you know, and here we are in, in these times we're living in and it's, uh, it's creeping back in for sure. So I'm, I'm glad you're part of the fight. And uh, uh, like, we, like you say, you know, only God knows if you're going to win and only, he, and only he knows if you're going to lose, but it's always the right thing to do to fight. You know, you get to fight for what the right thing is. Teddy Roosevelt has that famous quote, the man in the arena, right? Yeah, it's sure. not the man. It's not the guy in the bleachers or stands at council, the guy, you know, with the blood, sweat and tears in the fight. And, you know, you serve your country and uh, you, you, you put your life on the line here. You're willing to give your life, as Jesus says, no greater love has any man than this but to lay down his life for a friend. You're willing to do that on behalf of your country, even for strangers. But then to watch you know, people less worthy of, of, of our Constitution 
running us into the ground, these politicians who don't honor their pledges, who don't keep their oaths, who, who seek power rather than defending our Constitution. You know, and that was the thing that really drove me into politics. I had no passion or desire to get into politics. But what propelled me was as I retired after 30 years of active duty, I was uh, really heartbroken that I was handing over the, the country and the state worse off than how I got it for my father's generation. And as I was complaining about this, my last interview in uniform talking about Russia and strategy and all this, uh, we were off air and I'm complaining to this young man. I said, you know, I, I, I've been to combat you know, many times, uh, off, many years away from home. And, you know, what was what was it all about? My country's lost. And he looked over at me, this this 23 year old kid and said, well, Colonel, do something about it. And you <laughs> said for such a time, yeah, that hit me. and Doug, that hit me hard. Sure. I didn't say anything to that guy, but I was like, man, he's right. Yeah. I'm sitting here, you know, like a typical curmudgeon complaining about Washington, D.C. and Harrisburg and all these politicians. Uh, maybe get off your chair, Colonel, and do something about it. So I ran for office and uh, it, it's been a it's been a slug. But at the same time, what an honor it is to serve these people in uh, Pennsylvania, these, these these many years of trial and persecution. Yeah, well, you're doing a great job. And the first exposure that I know I had to you, and I'm sure a lot of people did, is watching the hearing in 2020 where you're chairing that hearing uh, in Pennsylvania and the allegations of vote fraud. And so you've been working on this forensic audit uh, ever since. So give us an update on, on how that's going. Where does it stand with getting that audit done? Well, you know, politicians and politics get in the way of, of truth. You know, uh, paint it on the ceiling of our, our house in Harrisburg is the words of Jesus. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the, the pursuit of truth is really all we're about here. You know, the, the uh, red herrings of the media and the Democrats overturning the election, baseless claims. You know, I went over my list from my hearing from just over a year ago, and there's not one thing on there that has been disproven as false or baseless. It, I mean, prove me wrong. Every, all of our findings, they still stand and they're still unaddressed. So I've been leading the charge on voting reform and voting integrity in Pennsylvania. But our, uh, our Senate President Pro Tem had other ideas. He had stood in the way of moving forward on this. Uh, I, I pressed ahead, though, as a committee chair, you know, it issued letters, uh, was about to do subpoenas. And of course, our President Pro Tem, a Republican, stepped in the way and uh, blocked it. And so as a result here, we're, we're not on the path of a forensic uh, investigation Arizona style where you look at every ballot and analyze the ballots to see if they're genuine or photocopied. Uh, I mean, it's in court now and it's, it, I don't see a way ahead where we really do have a forensic investigation that we need to have in Pennsylvania. So the establishment. Uh, so why is it that the establishment is so concerned about not, uh, not looking into this? You know, I, every, everywhere we, I have other guests on in Georgia or wherever, and you know, they just, they say, yeah, you know, sometimes it's not the Democrats only, it's the Republicans too. They don't want to look at this stuff either. So uh, you certainly uh, bumped up against this. So what's your opinion on that? What, what What's the deal there? Yeah, I would say, well, you know, so I'm dealing with Senator Corman and uh, the whole reason why he sabotaged this was uh, he had ambitions to run for governor, which, which he is now doing. And uh, he just sees political play, you know, hoping to gain points. Uh, what's the sad thing is we had the hearing, he was too busy to show up at the hearing last year didn't even zoom in, uh, had an invitation to go to the White House with me and others to, to speak with uh, 45. Uh, he was too busy for that. Um, he put off any advancement on uh, doing a forensic investigation. When I finally did it, he did all he could to undercut it. Uh, when I was about to issue the subpoenas with the authority of my committee, he had uh, 
called my members and tell them not to show up to the committee meeting, and he locked me out of the committee meeting. And so that's the lengths that this Republican so-called <laughs> leader in the Senate would go to uh, sabotage a real Arizona-style investigation. So why? Uh, he, he's been he's been in politics most of his adult life, um, 22 years. He he took his daddy's seat, which he was in for 21 years. So we have a four-decade-long Foreman dynasty, and uh, they're into status quo, mediocrity, uh, taking no risk. You know, they, there's always an excuse not to do the right thing. Oh, the governor will veto that. Oh, so-and-so will lose their seat in Philadelphia. There's always an excuse. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, Doug, you know, they took an oath similar to our oath, and uh, you need to honor that and just do the right thing. You do the right thing, things will come together and, you know, results and fruit will, will follow thereafter. The people will reelect you. But ducking and dodging and, and trying to be careful not to do anything risky, uh, our very republic is at stake. You know, Benjamin Franklin said in 1787 at the end of the Constitutional Convention, when he was asked by Mrs. Powell what kind of government we had, because, of course, that convention was a secret. And he said, uh, she said, well, Mr. Franklin, what do we have? You know, a monarchy or a republic? And he said, a republic if you can keep it. You can't keep the republic if, if you're being led by politicians who constantly look the other way or, or refuse to do the right thing. That's right. And the politics of it always plays in with these guys. And they see the right thing to do. They know what the truth is. But then quickly, it's like for them, the, the more important right is how do I get reelected? And I always yes. feel like what, once you cross over into that space where it's like, oh, I just got to worry, number one, about my reelection. And then number two, maybe I'll worry about what's right and, and doing the, the, you know, the good positive change for my constituents, for the people at large, for the common good. That becomes a second priority. The first is, how do I get reelected? And, and I, I confirm that absolutely. That's exactly what I found here, you know, be, being in the, in the state Senate there. There are good people, you know, within the Senate and the House and Harrisburg, clearly, as well as in D.C. But it's sad that oftentimes we'll have people in leadership here that, that, that believe in real, their early reelection is the be-all, end-all. And, you know, that may have been okay 20 years ago, but our very freedoms are at stake. I've passed two years of watching Governor Wolf and, and now President Biden strip our freedoms, attack our freedoms, undercut our Constitution constantly. This is not time for status quo. This is time to stand with the people, defend our Constitution, and uphold people's rights that we swore that we would. Yeah, that's a great point about this time we're living in. And yeah, I guess that status quo of politicians thinking that way, um, I guess it was somewhat more acceptable previously. But to live through it now, uh, we might not live through it all in terms of our country living through it all. It, it may. It may disappear as we know it if these guys keep doing what they're doing. And you're right, there's a lot of good ones out there, but I still see a lot of the establishment folks just uh, just really not making the hard choices that they need to make to, to do the right thing. So anyways, it's, it's a tough environment. Um, okay, so back to the voter fraud allegation pieces. So, so what, are the, what are a couple theories that you have heard out there that really, you know, you know, obviously not conspiracy theories because you're investigating, you're looking around things, you've seen things. What are the ones that bother you the most uh, that you've heard of? Uh, the lack of transparency. You know, uh, several hundred thousand votes were counted in Philadelphia without any Republicans in the room, or the Republicans were so far away they couldn't see what was being counted. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll paraphrase from the Washington Post. Sorry to do this to you, Doug, but they said democracy <laughs> dies in darkness. Well, we're not a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. Big difference. Right. Uh, the left doesn't understand that, and some Republicans don't as well. But yeah, our republic will die in darkness. And when you don't have transparency and accountability, when you don't have all, all interested parties in the room, uh, you know, counting ballots and watching the process and procedures, 
that's the kind of stuff that happens in Putin's Russia or Soviet Russia, you know, during the communist times. You know, it's kind of funny. My first assigned call sign to me in the army uh, when I was with the cab was Red Catcher, Red Catcher 2. And uh, it seems like we're once again in a place where the left, you know, those those who lean towards socialist ideas here, they're, they're, they they accuse us of stuff they're guilty of. You know, when we want to do an audit, we're, we're accused of overturning the results. When we want to have uh, transparency, we're accused of baseless claims, you know. And as I said, where is the responsibility in the media where they actually scrutinize what we found in my hearing last year in Gettysburg and prove me wrong? They haven't done that. So the biggest things that concern me, lack of transparency, the lack of accountability, uh, the lack of poll watchers in the rooms, you know, and additionally, we're hearing lots of things about the machines, you know, and the machines, we need to go back to hand counting, I think, because mm -hmm. if, if, if the machines are connected to the Internet, that's a problem. Right. And uh, I started off as a military intelligence officer, actually electronic warfare platoon leader. Things can be manipulated. It's really not that hard. Yeah, the, the hooked up to the Internet. I think most people don't get that. You know, they don't they don't know that to be the case. And then when they hear it, you know, the, the, the most the people who have common sense are like, wait, wait, that, that doesn't we can't do that. You know, there's all these stories about hacking everywhere and uh, they're not going to hack into those machines at some point, even if they hadn't doesn't mean that they won't in the future. You know, it's just a bad idea. And, and I think uh, a lot of European countries went backwards, like what we're talking about. And you have to in some regards because you can't open these things up. You know, the tech side of this, you got to be super careful about it. It's, uh, yeah, it's a different time we live in. I was going to ask you, too, about uh, this one thing that I watched a lot. Uh, I think Amistad Project did a, a press, uh, press conference on it. It was the guy, the postal contractor guy that had uh, – he kept saying, I had, all, I had this uh, truck full of uh, pre-filled ballots that I moved from New York to Pennsylvania. And uh, has anything happened with that? I, I kind of lost track of it. Do you, know, do you know much about that? So that was Jesse Morgan, and, mm -hmm. and he's from central Pennsylvania, I believe, actually in my region here. And, uh, yeah, he had a truckload of ballots in uh, New York State, and then he crossed state lines, which is illegal. I believe it's a felony, by the way, with ballots, uh, parked in Harrisburg was told to wait there he was he got agitated because he's waiting there for hours and he starts speaking with the leadership there at the uh the distribution center for the post office and, and he could tell things weren't right and then he directed him to drop his trailer in lancaster county and after that we have no idea what happened we we have no data on where the truck truck was that was uh, jesse morgan's favorite trailer by the way he said it had the best springs smoothest ride and it just vanished and he, he, he you know, you can't tell me there wasn't a tracker on that. You know, almost all truck, especially postal delivery. Right. And it just vanished. We have no idea what happened to the ballots. We had no idea what happened to the truck. And I, I was looking, in fact, yesterday to see an update on it. There's nothing out there. And the media, instead of doing their jobs and, you know, doing investigative journalism, prove us wrong. You know, show us. The First Amendment is so important, especially with the media, to, to keep those in power accountable. They look the other way because it may have worked against their political ideology. And so that's another unanswered question. Yeah. And so right away they wrote it off as some, some kind of conspiracy. They attacked Jesse Morgan as the left does, you know, ad hominem attacks. They attacked him and his background. You know, he had a bit of a rough uh, upbringing there. That, that's irrelevant to what he testified to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a shame it just kind of went away. And that was yeah. all, you know, there was a lot to that. And uh, I, I hope we get to the bottom mm -hmm. of that one day. So I was thinking about uh, before talking to you, like my time in the Army and how it's kind of helped me over the years. Um, I, I feel like I have a pretty good 
you know, the, the, the BS meter, right? The flag goes up fast. I'm like, okay, what is this? You, this, you know, my facial expressions may not portray it, but inside I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This guy's off. And I think I got that from being in the army, you know, cause there's so much going on at different times and you gotta, and you can't, you can't let people, oh, I think this is going to work or, or they just kind of throw things out. It's like, no, 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 we got to hit SP. We got to complete the mission. We got to do all these things. I don't have time for that. So would you say that, you know, that that, that kind of applies to you? And is, and do you think that that's helped you in, in this season that you're in with politics? It really has, uh, you know, long career in the Army, leading people from across the state and the nation and even from around the world. I was uh, in NATO for four years. Uh, all three of my Afghanistan deployments was with NATO, uh, leading a multinational, uh, multinational coalition and, and allies of men and women um, to work with the French and the Germans and the Belgians and, and the Australians and New Zealanders. I mean, just on and on and on. It really sharpens your leadership skills. And so, yes, you're, you're quick to notice, you know, BS. You have a lot low tolerance for stupidity, but uh, you, you do have uh, agility uh, having been in the army, and you know this. You have an agility to work with people there and you know, adjust your thinking a bit and, and maybe a little bit of give and take to, to get the job done. You know, for us, for you and me, when we were in the army, it's about delivering results. But working in a team environment, this is something unusual. You know, in a lot of businesses, it's cutthroat and uh, you press on it, you know, and, you know, hell, hell to come if, if you kind of lose. With the army, you have to, to be the best you can be, the bar from that old 80s slogan. Sure. While not stabbing each other in the back, but working together as a team to accomplish a mission. And so that's a unique skill. And Doug, it was kind of funny when I won the special election a couple of years back, um, the, the leadership at the time wasn't really sure what to make of this, this you know, retired army colonel, you know, what, what is he gonna do in here? Yeah, yeah. And uh, come to find out, you know, you, you learn how to work with other people. And uh, I get along, you know, fantastic with the caucus and we're just trying to get the job done. But obviously there's a bit differences of how to get the job done. Right, yeah, everybody's got their opinion on that. But it's like what you yeah. said, if you if you can see what the truth is, you know the right thing to do, especially for your for your constituents and for the people of Pennsylvania, you just gotta pursue it. You just gotta go yeah. down that path no matter what. Yeah, it, it is. And you know, for those uh, who are contemplating the, the situation in our nation, especially in politics, you know, for somebody like me, I, I was about to ride off into the sunset like so many senior officers do. You know, I had that sweet federal job lined up and you know, they, they, they want to keep you in federal service because all the skills and money they invested in you over the years. And uh, it's too much is at stake for us to ride off into the sunset. So uh, military members, you might have a sweet offer to a contractor making you know, six figures and a, and a great life of travel. Your country still needs you. Uh, active duty, reserve, National Guard, your country still needs you. Uh, yes, politics is, is uh, icky. But uh, we need men and women of honor and integrity that know what's about the sacrifice that, that has gone on to help our republic survive over the years. Yeah, that's very well said. I couldn't agree more. It's a good time for more veterans. Totally agree. And I tell you, the yes. people of Pennsylvania are blessed to have you and uh, really thankful for you coming on today. I'm going to, you know, we'll be keeping track of what's going on. If you want to get back on the show and let's talk about something else and we get the word out about it. Let's do. Let's definitely do it. But uh, great work and and uh, really great meeting you. And thanks for coming on. Thank you, Doug. And thanks for all that you're doing in our in our nation as well. Yeah, you're making a difference. You have a huge impact here. And you know that's how it starts. Like people like you and me. You know, uh, in Isaiah, you know, God says, "Who shall I send?" And Isaiah is, you know, here I am, Lord, send me. And uh, so he's looking for modern day Esthers and Gideons to stand in a gap for a country for such a time as this. So thank you and Merry Christmas to you. Amen. Merry Christmas to you too. Thanks for coming on, Colonel. Thank you. God bless, brother.
All right, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and for supporting conservative media. Don't ever forget, by working together and staying diligent, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let's all keep praying that God will continue to bless America. First Right, a new kind of news summary without liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe now at restorationofamerica.com slash first right or text first right to one 820 9167